0: Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Scollin, and each week I interview everyday people who have transformed their health and the amazing souls supporting them on their journey. Be inspired. As a survivor of narcissistic abuse, Aubrey courageously left her marriage after 13 months to pursue the life she knew awaited for her. After studying to become a holistic health coach, Aubrey pursued a full-time career dedicated to helping others overcome the lasting psychological effects of abuse, divorce, toxic relationships, and the pain around traumatic life events. Through compassionate, holistic coaching, she educates on the signs of narcissism and manipulation, as well as providing tangible tips on healing properly to thrive in life. Well, this is an incredible episode with Aubrey. She's officially my first guest that's come back onto the podcast, and this happened organically through conversations we were having online. We were exploring the concept that abuse is not always abuse, and we have to be careful about how we talk about people and how we put them into a box. So... Aubrey and I look forward to hearing how this conversation expanded your mind and you can share your thoughts over on Instagram or my business Facebook page, Susan Scullin. We're keen to chat. See you inside. Welcome back, Aubrey, to my Holistic Health Podcast. I'm really excited to dive into this deeper conversation that we're going to have, which is an extension on your conversation, or the conversation we had um, in Episode 14. So if anybody hasn't listened to that, please go back and listen to that, listen to Aubrey's story um, about leaving her marriage. And now we're going to take it one step further, or maybe five, but I'm super excited. So thank you for joining me today, and thank you for instigating this and being open to this conversation.
1: Oh, oh my gosh absolutely I I love the opportunity to talk about anything and everything that has to do with marriage and relationships and narcissism and abuse all things like I love having these conversations just because I think awareness is the first thing that can help anybody who may be experiencing a situation like this. So, thank you for using your platform for good so that we can talk about this.
0: You're so welcome. And yeah, I agree. Like, it is about awareness, isn't it? And people can then start to unpick little bits and pieces of their own life and then hopefully start to rebuild their life exactly as they want it. Agreed, completely. <laughs> so, when we last met, we were talking about how you had left your marriage and um, it had been, you know, a really abusive, well, from a narcissistic perspective, an abusive marriage. Can you just recap quickly on what that looked like for you at the time and then we'll take it forward from there?
1: Yeah. So I was married at a young age, um, like 21 I think is when I got married. I got divorced at 22. And I was in a very abusive marriage. It it had a lot of signs in, um, I guess, the, of the traditional narcissistic um, Personality disorder that my ex husband had had. And so I kind of dove into understanding more about narcissism and about abuse. And um, long story short, got out of the marriage. Now I'm a coach for divorced women who may or may not experience have experienced um, similar tr- like situations with abuse and narcissism. But overall, I'm in the coaching space for these divorced women because. My mantra throughout that entire process was if I could help anyone through this, um, then everything that I went through would have been worth it. So kind of a really rough recap, but I just, that is something that I'm super passionate about is like talking about narcissism and about the signs and how to identify narcissists. And so um, that is kind of where we talked about, but it's definitely a good episode. So you should go and listen to that first (laughs) before diving into this one. Definitely.
0: And what we're going to dive in today is that deeper. how do you identify a narcissist? We're going to sort of come into that place, but also have a look at other, you know, like narcissistic tendencies and abuse and how things can be actually masked. So we might put a label on something, but that may not be the case. Um, And we need to perhaps look at other bits of information or aspects of that person's personality and obviously look at their history to say, well, this is, this is where they're at but that doesn't make, make them a narcissist does it
1: yeah no, and i like that what you said that sometimes we categorize or we're trying to put a label on something and i think that's more so like for our benefit is that like when we put a label on something or somebody there's this val- this sense of validation that if someone has this disorder then like their behavior is somehow validated. And what they did has, there's a reason behind why someone did what they did. When in reality, there may just be, they just may be a really mean person. Like they, they might not have this label or this um, disorder that actually can categorize them as somebody who is, and even if there is a label, it doesn't mean that someone is valid to treating other people like garbage. Like that's never allowed anyways. And no one ever truly deserves to be treated that way. But I think it's really important to understand that there are differences between narcissism and just unhealthy individuals. Mm -hmm. And to understand that just because somebody has and displays traits of narcissism does not make them a narcissist. So I like that you kind of said that. And I just wanted to touch on that a little bit if, if I could yeah, <laughs> on you just go. The differences in the two. Got <laughs> so I think it's really important, like first and foremost, to understand, like, if you're going to try to categorize somebody or label somebody as something to understand what you're categorizing them as. And so narcissism, since that's just the topic of conversation today and what we're here talking about, um, I love, so kind of backtrack. When I was going through my marriage and divorce, I had never heard the words like narcissist, um, like narcissistic personality disorder, like gaslighting. A lot of these terms were like super foreign to me. And I was always called a narcissist in my marriage. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And so I spent a lot of time researching it and Googling it. And I came across this Greek mythology story of the origin of the word narcissism. And essentially the Greek, I think he's a God, maybe just something, sorry, you know, you can look this up if you want, but within Greek mythology, Narcissus, he fell in love with himself when he saw his own image in a pool of, uh, it was his own reflection in a pool. And so that is where like the term narcissism comes from, because narcissism is characterized by like an exaggerated sense of self-importance. Um, and so there are, there are different types of narcissism and I won't get like too far into like all the different types and the different, um, I guess, like categories with narcissism. But I think it's important to understand yeah that there are different traits. And so someone who has this like exaggerated sense of self-importance is going to be really entitled. They're going to require constant and excessive admiration. They're someone who is expected to be recognized as superior, even if they don't have the achievements or the academics, if you will, that warrant such recognition, I guess, Um, they are the type that will exaggerate any of their achievements, all of their talents. They have very fantastical thinking about the perfect life or the perfect partner or the perfect business or job. Their life is just this beautiful picture and they'll do anything that they can to have that, that, that self-image that's really, that plays to their fragile ego. Um, and so, because that's their like underlying motivation, they, meaning narcissists, they tend to take advantage of others so that they can get what they want. They're going to do whatever it takes to get what they want. And so this results in them having this inability and this unwillingness to see the needs and recognize the feelings that other people have. It's just not even a concept. And so that's why a lot of narcissists also are kind of paired into the category of like, antisocial personality disorder, or sociopathy, or even being a psychopath, like, because they don't have that sense of awareness of other people's feelings, thoughts, and emotions, because they're so absorbed in their own. And so they become very envious of other people, very unwilling to recognize that they, like, I don't know, they have this enviousness, and is that how, how you say it? Enviousness. There we go. There's the word. I'm like, that's not sounding right. The en- they're envious of others, and they believe that others envy them with that sense of, like, you know, elevated sense of self worth. And this leaves them to behave in a very arrogant manner, coming across as conceited and boastful, and even pretentious. Um, and because of that, they have a very hard time handling anything that they may perceive as criticism. Okay. So like, those are kind of that's like word vomit of all the traits of a narcissist. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's safe to say that someone with a very fragile ego they're going to become super impatient, super angry if they don't receive special treatment. They're going to react with rage or contempt. They're going to try to belittle the other person. They're going to try to make themselves appear superior. They have difficulty regulating their own emotions and their behavior. And then they also experience major problems when it comes to dealing with stress and adapting to any kind of change. And so those are like just, you know, along with the moodiness and the depression and a lot of like the impatient behavior, a lot of these feelings stem from them having deeper rooted feelings of insecurity and shame and possibly even like humiliation from vulnerability as a child. And so that's what I saw in my relationship a lot was this like classic case of, you know, he turns abusive because he came from a very, very abusive family. Um, But Ever since I've been like diving really deep into this over the last couple of years, I've really started to come to this point where I don't even know necessarily if my husband was a classic narcissist or if he exhibited so many of these traits that his behavior resembled being one of that of a narcissist or if he was just simply a very unhealthy person who received a lot of abuse from someone that I believe has probably narcissistic personality disorder or even antisocial personality disorder, Um, because they can like an unhealthy person can have similar traits to a narcissist. Mm. Um, but there are mean and selfish people out there. Like there, there are tons and tons of songs about narcissists, but there are tons of songs about mean people and bullies and selfish people. Right. Like, and I say that only because when I saw the diagnosis rate for narcissism, I was surprised at how like low it was. And I thought, like, well, why is that? And in the previous episode, I'm pretty sure that I mentioned this, but it's because one, if someone's a narcissist, they're not gonna, they're not gonna seek the help that they need because of that inflated ego. But I also believe that it's not as common as we're making it out to be. Mm-hmm. That narcissism is is again, we want to we want the validation that someone has a disorder, but all that does is benefit the person who treated you poorly. So if they really are just a mean and selfish person who's very unhealthy in their habits, you know, it may not be the best thing for your health and healing if you are claiming that someone is something or putting them in a box for a form of validation for your own healing that, well, they, they only treated me that way because they're a narcissist rather than trying to swallow the pill that, you know, they treated me that way because they're not a healthy person. And that's that, you know, but that doesn't feel as validating, you know? So anyways, I've been talking a whole lot. <laughs> no,
0: that's so good. It's great. And it's that whole concept of like, we just brought it up around the abuser, the abused becomes the abuser and this hurt this concept that hurt people hurt people so when they when somebody is struggling often we can then come back in with compassion which in an abusive situation can be very challenging and especially when you kind of you've signed up to marry this person and be with this person for the rest of your life and then you're trying to wrap in compassion and you're like but hang on a minute he's he or she is doing this to me how do I move through all of that? And I think we touched on that more so in the first episode um, around how you can see these things and, and how you can move through them. But even in our everyday life, we can see people who perhaps have an ego in certain areas of their life. Now, often people aren't ego driven in every area of their life which could lead to you know being a narcissist but that you could just be really driven in your work life or in your home life and go these things need to be done but that doesn't make you a narcissist does it
1: no no because I believe um that most people are at some point in their life going to encounter an unhealthy person whether they're narcissistic or not um and I I see that in the workplace I've seen that In my personal life, I've seen that like in friendships and, you know, friends of mine that have had friends who are very unhealthy and may have had some form of a personality disorder. So I think it's fair to say that most people at some point in their life are going to encounter someone with unhealthy behaviors and they may even encounter someone with narcissism. Um, And it's just a matter of identifying that regardless of who they are and what their behaviors are, is that you don't deserve to be treated poorly. You don't deserve to, you know, if you're in a work-life situation or a workplace environment that's unhealthy for you and doesn't serve you, doesn't mean that you need to settle and dishonor yourself and stay in an environment that is not serving you, that is unhealthy. And I think that's something I'm very passionate about is like we as a society have this tendency to believe that we owe people something. We owe our social media followers this, that, and the other. We owe our boss. We owe our friends. We owe even our family members sometimes. And the truth is, like, if we aren't taking care of ourselves, we can't show up for anybody else authentically. And I I think that's a big part of the reason why there are so many advocates now talking about authenticity and being true to yourself because, if we aren't even being true to ourselves in the fact that we're just letting anybody and everybody walk all over us, then how are we going to be able to recognize and come from a place of power to live our life in the way that we are meant to and even want to? Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, I think at some point or another, there's got to be a a conversation of courage and, and just to understand that, like, you have the courage or you have the permission to courageously leave a situation that may not be serving you, whether that is an abusive workplace situation, a friend or a spouse or even a parent or sibling, you know? So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think
0: you touched on something that I see and I'm not seeing it from a, you know, an abusive situation, but I think it still plays a small part or, Perhaps a big part, um, you are not responsible, obviously, for the actions of others. You are only responsible for your actions and the steps that you take um, as you move through whatever's going on for you. But I always like to believe that things happen for a reason. There's a reason why you got married at 21 and then divorced at 22 and then mm-hmm. if you hadn't had have had that experience, you wouldn't be doing the work that you're doing in the world right now. And you wouldn't be able to help and serve those people that you're helping and serving right now. We wouldn't be having this conversation. So I always see that, and even with myself around my postnatal depression journey, I wouldn't be on this podcast now. Like there was no reason for me to create this and and be in this space and be sharing other people's stories and all of that sort of stuff if I hadn't have gone through that journey. So I I often think that people come into our lives for a particular reason. Sometimes it's just friendship and it's just to be, you know, your best friend and your guide and all that sort of stuff, like your cheerleader effectively. Um, but sometimes yeah. it's actually to show you where you need to change, where you need to grow, and you can take on those opportunities. Do you see mm-hmm. that in your yeah, own life as well? I think well?
1: that completely, yeah, because I think that people who come into our lives, they serve either the purpose of being a lesson or a blessing. And sometimes those blessings can turn into lessons. And so I, I think you're, you've you had it right on the head. I completely agree that, you know, to some degree or another, everything is divinely orchestrated. I believe that everything, you know, you can take whatever you want from any kind of situation. You can learn from absolutely anything that you experience in your life. It's just a matter of you choosing whether or not to learn from that situation. And so for me, I just recognize I have grit, gratitude daily for the fact that I get to show up in my dream life right now, working with women who have similar situations and stories that I do. Like I could have never in a million years thought that this was going to be my reality because I thought I was going to be a mom with kids. I wanted to be a dental hygienist. Like it's definitely not, not even close to what I'm doing right now, but I'm way more fulfilled because of the fact that this situation showed up to teach me a major lesson that I was willing and open to learn.
0: And can I ask a question? Did you, when you were sort of going on your journey, you were healing yourself and then thinking about coming into this as your niche as the work that you do in the world. Did that challenge you?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Because the last time that we talked, I hadn't really narrowed down to, to the, level that I am now on what my, my niche is. Um, like I, the, where do I even begin? I have so many thoughts right now. <laughs> um, it was, it was really devastating, honestly, to like finally sit in that moment where I decided like, this is the person that I'm supposed to help. And I've literally known that, but I've I was so afraid to. And I think the reason I was so afraid to show up in this space of helping other divorced women was because I didn't know if I was healthy enough to handle potentially some of the triggering things that may come up in a session. Um, and so for instance, I mean, I, I started doing this business program to help me to be a better coach. And during this program, it was very specific, like find your, find your audience, find your, your person basically. And I was in absolute denial. I was like, I can just help any woman. Like I can help, you, know, I can help anybody at this point. And they had said like, when you're helping everyone, you're helping no one. And that kind of hit me. And so during this program, we I was still coaching and I had found this woman who had a very similar situation to me. And um, I'm just trying to like tune in. If this is like something I need to share right now, <laughs> but yeah, I, I found this woman and She had a very, very similar situation to me and something that she was sharing with me really affected me where I like, after, you know, having a consult with her, I like afterwards bawled because I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can help her because I was her. Like literally this situation that she is struggling with right now, like that was me and it was like looking into this mirror of like, I don't know if I can do this. And I ultimately decided not to work with that specific client because I think there were just, there were more factors than just this story in this situation. But it taught me in that moment that I could either run away from that, or I could learn a lesson about why I was feeling shame around that situation. And ultimately that's what it's kind of boiled down to is that I've chosen to help these divorced women because I'm sick and tired of the stigma and the, the tabooness around the word divorce. Like I'm tired of the fact that there's such a, a stigma around those who have been divorced and, and like it's real and it exists. And even in like dating, I've seen it now, like I'm 25 and I see it even in my relationships now is that people want to be supportive, but they don't know if they can be, or, or if they are supportive, they're super awkward because they don't know what I'm willing to talk about. And I get that it's like sort of a touchy subject, but at the same time, I'm in this space and in this work because I'm ready to just open up the dialogue about divorce and abuse narcissism and the truth behind all of it and how to heal because if someone's experiencing something similar to this, it doesn't mean that their life is over. It doesn't mean that just because they're experiencing something difficult, that it means that there is no hope for them. Like this, I'm out from my divorce about two and a half years and I never could imagine right now that this is what I'm doing. Like, because I I chose in those early beginning days to take care of myself and to just realize that like I wasn't ever going to compromise myself to anybody or anything ever again and making that promise is ultimately the reason that I'm on the journey that I'm on yeah
0: and you've you know wrapped around all the self-love stuff in there that we need to take care of ourselves we need to put ourselves first and that's not selfish Um, Matthew McConaughey is doing a lot of speaking about this at the moment and he's saying that it's be selfish to be selfless and it's coming from a place of alignment. Often a narcissist or an abuser is not in alignment and one of the things I wrote down was because I would say they're emotionally detached from who they are. They're spiritually detached. They actually don't know who they are. They have this, like you said before, they have this dream life that they think is going to be their reality, and so they are so gung ho on just creating it, but they're actually hurting themselves at the same time because they're not staying open to all the other possibilities that are in in the world today. So if we come back to those, um, that abusive, um, narcissistic kind of, you know, those sorts of people, and how we operate and how we move through um, being in those sorts of relationships. What are some of the signs that people see? Just remind us again. So what are some of the signs that people would see from an intern, like from me being the abused person, what would I see? Because often you kind of second guess yourself, don't you? You go, is that gaslighting? Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what that is. Is he actually yeah. <laughs> or she actually abusing me or are they actually making a joke? I'm not, I'm, I'm really lost. And so how do people identify those sorts of things?
1: So I think it's important to understand some terms before I kind of like dive in and just like start using all sorts of words that may not be super common. So, um, manipulation is overall, I think one of the most like dangerous things because it's not something that you can easily see. You've never really experienced anything like that. And that for me, that was my situation. Like I, I don't think I had ever really recognized abuse or sorry, not abuse. Well, that too. But, um, I had never understood manipulation really until I was outside of everything, seeing it from like this whole new perspective. So manipulation is essentially another person trying to get you to do something because that's what they want you to do. And they want to do it in a very forceful way, I guess that's a horrible definition, but that's essentially what it is. (laughs) Um, and so there are different forms of manipulation. So one is like low grade people pleasing. Like I, I look at that as a form of manipulation because someone who comes to a relationship and is not being authentic, they are, they're showing up someone that they're not making you believe that they are this person that you think that they are. And I, I'm going to just go ahead and throw that out there too, that inside each and every one of us, hopefully I'm not alone in this, that we all to some degree or another have been people pleasers at some point. So I'm not calling you a manipulator if you have people pleasing tendencies, but to take a look and to realize like, why am I people pleasing? Why am I showing up in this space of being someone that I'm not, or not speaking up when I know that i want to be but why like why would someone show up being somebody that they're truly not to get someone to do something that they want that is manipulation um and i hope that that translated and made sense the way that i said that so i think that's kind of something to recognize is like when there's an overly um i guess what's the word that i'm looking for like someone who just does things for you, but there is this very specific word, like overly. They're
0: overly generous. They just keep giving and giving yes. and giving. Yes. yes,
1: yes. Thank you. I like couldn't think. Yeah, when someone is overly generous with their self or overly come come. Oh, it's coming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You'll pop it out at some point.
1: Oh, it will come out. Anyway, someone who's just continues to show up for you, and it's almost like. You can sense it. And I think that's something that I want to just point out first and foremost is that as someone who may be experiencing any kind of manipulation or looking, you know, or, or experiencing some kind of abuse or dealing with someone who may have narcissistic tendencies is to not second guess your gut feeling like Mm. that is what I learned. (laughs) I think that's the number one lesson that I've taken away from this whole situation is to trust my gut because my gut has has never truly led me astray it's my mind that I have sometimes trusted over my gut feeling and I have used logic to Mm -hmm. explain things to get me to do things that I never felt really good about and so you know people pleasing is something to to be aware of is to look at how someone is approaching you because that can come in the form of of love bombing so someone who gives and gives and gives and gives and provides this world for you and gives you gifts and buys you things and, and just bombs you with so much love. You can kind of sense like, whoa, this is a lot like, and there again, I'm not just saying that, you know, if someone is showing you so much love doesn't necessarily mean it's love bombing, but I think that the difference between love bombing and just genuine love is literally the gut feeling that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. Is it truly genuine or are there conditions attached that you may not be completely understanding quite yet, but you feel in your heart and in your gut, like it might be off to trust that. Um, So I would say that that kind of all encompasses within people pleasing and then gaslighting. So you kind of threw that word out and I would just go to the lengths to say that gaslighting is one of the most insidious forms of manipulation because it makes the victim question their reality. So this results in in low trust within the self because it's going to, like, the the abuser is preventing the victim from feeling justified in fighting against the abusive behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Essentially, like, you question your reality. Like, oh, you know, I didn't appreciate it when you did this. Well, you're crazy. I never did anything like that. Mm -hmm. That's gaslighting. It shows up in the form of you making you question your reality when you may have like evidence of someone doing something and they are making you believe and question differently than what you saw. And that is really scary because that I think for, for most people is how you start to ignore signs of abuse and manipulation because now you start to realize, okay, like, I, I used to start to question everything. You question your sanity, you question them, you question yourself and you start to question those gut feelings. You question your logic. And so gaslighting is definitely something that if you recognize, like you are questioning your own self, that is a sign to take a step back and realize, are these questions valid? Is my questioning within myself truly valid? And, and that is, yeah like I said one of the most insidious forms and it can be c- combated by recognizing like if you are showing up questioning yourself
0: mm-hmm. um you lose and trust then with, you lose trust with yourself in that space too so you lose this inner okay, trust yeah. and then you kind of like well they know better so I'll just follow along with what they're telling me that must be true and then you yes. that's, that questioning that you lose yeah
1: Because when it comes to like the people pleasing and the love bombing, I think it's very methodical. It's very like, you know, someone can't just, isn't going to just come into your life and start making you question everything. Like Mm -hmm. they have to be a trustworthy source before you start to take their, their information to heart. So that is why the people pleasing and the love bombing and the excessive love, if you will, is important to a narcissist or to an abuser or to a mentally unwell person because of the fact that they can entrap their victim very easily through love. That's when they get that trust. And then that is when very slightly and ever so slowly, you start to question your reality because you trust the opinions of this person. You trust what it is that they are, are like you trust their opinion. And so all of a sudden, if they did something and you're like, not sure if it was real or not, and that becomes like, I just, I keep having this thought that I need to share this story. So I'm going to, um, this is, I think a prime example of gaslighting. So I suffered and I'm air quoting suffered here from night blindness. Okay. And I'm la- I'm already smiling because like, I can see this for what it is now. I didn't really recognize it then. But when I first got married, my ex-husband really believed in gender roles, that men were the, you know, the provider, the caretaker, they're the one who was the driver of the vehicle, like, you know, just very specific gender roles. And I am not going to lie, I'm just going to say it right out, like I'm a little bit of a control freak and I like to be sure that I'm safe. So especially in a vehicle, sometimes I feel a little bit apprehensive if I'm with a driver who isn't so safe. And my ex-husband had a lot of tendencies of driving a little recklessly. And so rather than being like really critical of it and saying something about it, because I had recognized early on that inflated self or that inflated sense of like, e- oh I wouldn't say I recognized that it was the ego. He just had a very vulnerable and fragile ego. And so I very rarely would criticize if I could help it because I didn't want to result in an unnecessary fight. And so I would just volunteer to drive all the time. And we lived about an hour away from where we were working. And so we would leave really, really early in the morning so he could get to work. And then I worked a little bit later in the day. So when we were leaving to go home, it was dark. So we were leaving in the dark and we were coming home in the dark. And he would always drive to work and I um, would pick him up from work and we would drive home. And so I usually was the driver on the way home. And I remember him saying one time to me, like, oh, do you want me to drive home? Um, And I was like, no, I think I'm okay. And he was like, well, I just know how you struggle with driving in the dark sometimes. And I was like, what? I've never struggled with driving in the dark. I'm like, no, I'm good. Thank you so much. I'm good. And this just kind of went on for a few weeks. And then it was like, hey, do you want me to drive home? Like, I know that with your green eyes, it's harder for you to see in the dark. And I was like, what? And then he, he would back it up with this whole story of like how he'd read the light refracts differently with different colored eyes and green eye people have a difficult time seeing in the dark. And so I was like, oh, that's fascinating. Like, no, I think I'm okay. And then it was later, like, you know, what is it like for you when you drive in the dark? Like, is it, you know, with night blindness, like, does it feel like you're driving with sunglasses on at night? And I was like, night blindness. Like I just remember questioning and I had never really been like, I don't have night blindness. Like, I don't even know what the hell that is. Like I just, it just didn't even like, it was just weird, you know? And in my, I I just didn't even recognize like that this was slowly happening. And so it kind of, it was like a few months after we'd gotten married and we're doing this whole driving thing. And there was one night where I started to drive home and I got really anxious and I could see the sun setting. And I was like, feeling really apprehensive. And I was like, Ooh, what the heck? And he's like, Oh, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of like feeling anxious. And I don't really know why. And, and he's like, well, if you want me to drive, like I'm more than happy to, because I know that how driving in the dark makes you anxious. So he had taken something that I was feeling and had then associated it with driving in the dark. And I was like, well, okay. Like, yeah, that's fine. You know, like I'll pull over and he drove. And so this persisted to the point where i literally could not drive in the dark i was so afraid because i had night blindness that i i couldn't see i didn't want to drive in the dark and and he had kind of essentially he'd gotten his way he had manipulated me to the point and it took coercion it took time it wasn't this like oh you have night blindness and i was like oh yeah you're right i can't see in the dark let me just hand over the keys like no it it took time and and i share that story because you know, that was something that took me literally a year and a half before I understood it because I was, I got on a skiing trip and I had flown out to Colorado and on my way home, I had taken like a red eye flight and I had to drive from, you know, I had to drive four hours in the dark because of this red eye flight. It's the middle of winter and I'm coming back home from this little skiing trip in Colorado I'm by myself, and I'm driving in the dark, and I got to the point where we used to live, and I was an hour away from my house, and I started having anxiety right at that point. And I was like, Oh, it was like this out-of-body experience where I finally was like, I never had night blindness, like I just saw it very clearly that it was like I remembered very specific points of like when it was all coming in and like that took me a year and a half to unpack all of that to realize like I did not ever have night blindness but I was coerced into believing that I did Mm -hmm. and so that is something that's kind of scary with gaslighting and manipulation is to recognize that like something as minor as you know do you want me to drive home because it's getting dark like can turn into this big grand thing of Like me having a panic attack because it's dark and I can't drive in the dark. And I think that's something that's really important to bring up is that we, that any kind of belief that you have, a belief is what is, is affecting your actions. It's essentially the story that you're telling yourself. And and he had told me a story so many times that I started to believe this story, that it was true. And now I have no problem driving in the dark. In fact, I sometimes laugh when I do drive in the dark because I'll just kind of remember like, oh, remember that one time when I couldn't see in the dark? like, <laughs> Because I literally made myself believe that I could not see in the dark. Mm-hmm. And like, that is something, it's, it's not really funny, but I think I laugh with it now because I can see it for what it is. But gaslighting is scary because it just makes you question everything that you think that you know. And so if you are someone who is experiencing and maybe recognizing like, oh, I, I'm questioning my reality. I'm questioning, like, is this actually right? Do I, am I having a hard time trusting myself? Am I having a hard time, you know, remembering like who I was or what I was believing, um, or what I believed in the past? Like my biggest form of advice for that is to take a step back and to, and to start to remember things that really are true. Like what are your what are your hobbies? What are the things that you like? Kind of get back into yourself and get back into your reality because I had forgotten that I had loved so many things. Like I loved volleyball and dance and drawing and creating and like I stopped doing all of those things because I felt like they weren't good enough or because I wasn't good enough for him. And when I started to remember and recall those things, it was either easier for me it was easier for me to then recall what my reality and what my truth was. And the truth was that I did not ever have night blindness. So a little bit of a long story to explain gaslighting, but um, I think it showed up for a reason. So trusting that.
0: That's a really powerful story because I think a lot of people, there would be a lot of people that are in that situation where somebody else is, like you said, would you like me to drive? because it's dark, you know, like a simple little, you know, offer, and you've kind of, and it's built into this whole, I I now have night blindness, because I believe that I, I have night blindness, like, so, um, you know, there's a couple of things in there, there's the thoughts that we create, and when we think them often enough, they become our beliefs, and so we can literally create our reality, right? Right. The good and the not so good that perhaps we don't want and so mm-hmm. thinking about your business now like you can literally create the reality that you want in terms of the people that you serve and and the the people that you touch out in the world and all of that sort of stuff so you can do it from a positive and service place as well um but there would be a number of people out there that are sitting there going oh I can't do that because somebody told me you know have, has built this belief in me that I cannot do it. Something my mum always says to me, why are you doing that? She always questions. like there's always this question of why and it's always about what I've learned is coming back to that, well, because I enjoy it or whatever the truth is for me because I love it and particularly with my netball career, which is um, kind of like basketball but different, <laughs> a lot of the, the US people don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but that's okay, um, and she would say, well, is it time to retire yet? And I'm like, why is it time to retire? Like, at what point do I need to retire um, just because you did or because I've had a baby or, or that sort of stuff? And and often it's the other person's story and their limitations within their own life that then can lead to this whole questioning of myself um, around what I should and shouldn't be doing. And then you overlay this whole narcissistic or gaslighting um, or abuse and it's the control that that person is willing to to or wants to put over the top of you, and the patience that he had to see that out every single day for months on end to get to the outcome that he 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 wanted. And I think was yeah. there some control in there for him?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that if I could say, I mean, anything about my relationship because I am kind of in this phase, this. Maybe it's not so much a phase, but I've just been really questioning, like, am I, am I claiming for this person to be a narcissist when it may just be a situation of abuse, right? Like, and ultimately I think back, like the thing that makes me question the most is the fact that I think he got a little bit of power because he was powerless in his childhood. He was powerless with his parents. They weren't, they were very abusive people And so once he got that little glimpse of power that he could stand up for himself, well, then that automatically just trickled into our relationship that he wasn't powerless when he was with me, that he could say something and he could get his way. And that power, that control was like, well, he had had 20, 22 years of experience with being controlled. And now he got the opportunity to be on the other end of that. Rather than being the one who was controlled, he got to be the one who was controlling. And the satisfaction that comes with a little bit of power, a little bit of domineering behavior, that can feed that that low self-esteem and that that fragile ego. And so control is definitely something that I saw. and I think something that I wanted to touch on a little bit with what you were saying about questioning like who you are, I saw a quote and I'm saying it like everywhere and just posting it on my own page because it says, I am not what you think I am. You are what you think I am. And like, I just need to like sit there and have everybody like think about that for a second. Like I am not what you think I am. You are what you think I am. And that I think is something that cannot be overlooked because that's, I call it the law of projection. That's definitely not what it's called, but like projections and mirroring, like when someone is projecting onto you, it's a defense mechanism that these manipulators or these abusers use to displace their responsibility of behavior and their own personal traits onto you. And so, you know, I remember being called a narcissist and it was like, I don't even know what a narcissist is. Like and then Googling it and looking it up and, and seeing like that is explaining perfectly who you are as a person. Like realizing, I mean, that still affected my reality because I did start to wonder like, am I actually abusive? Am I manipulative? Am I a narcissist? Like I would look closely at these things and I would question my reality. And then I would be told that I was this way or another. Also, sorry if you can hear my little friend's child. He was screaming in the background. That's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to like talk over it, but yeah. it's um, anyways, but projections are, are just essentially another manipulative tactic to get you to question who you are. And, and when someone asks, I mean, it's like with your example, with, with netball, is that what you called it? That, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, well, we'll, I'm questioning like, should I, or shouldn't I like quit? Mm -hmm. Because this belief of somebody else is the way that it is. Like now I feel the need to conform to that belief. And I'm not so sure if I see myself in the same way that I used to like, Mm -hmm. and so that can really damage any person when they are being told constantly, like you're nothing, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, you're this, you're that, like that would affect anybody. But Something that I do as is, is a, a protection method for myself is rather than them saying to me and, and saying to my face, like, you are stupid, I pretend that I'm holding a mirror and on the other side, they're saying that to themselves. But I'm just hearing it because I'm the one holding the mirror, standing right in front of them that they're saying, you're so stupid, but really that's how they feel about themselves because we see in other people what we see in ourselves And, and that can be for good and for bad. You know, like when I see a really successful person, I'm like, I love that. And I want that. And it's because within me, there, there's some level of desire for success. And I recognize that I have that drive and desire, but I also recognize when someone is being very reckless with their relationships, like I was the queen of gossip about relationships because it was like, she doesn't know what she's doing well, look at what I got myself into, you know, like I couldn't, I recognized that their relationship wasn't super good, but it was almost a way for me to like realize I wasn't doing the best in my relationship or I didn't have the best relationship. And so this can, I mean, and I'm saying this because, and I'm exploiting myself a little bit just to say that you don't have to be a narcissist to be someone who's projecting. You don't have to be Mm -hmm. a narcissist to be someone who's gaslighting somebody you know, in an unfortunate, and I think unfortunately, we all have some unhealthy traits and habits that we all exhibit and display. And that is a beautiful thing about life is that you can recognize, and if you can come from a place of awareness to say, like, you know what, this isn't super healthy. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to change. Well, then that can categorize you out of being a narcissist. And I think the same can go with someone that you might be in a relationship with or someone you work with that. If you can approach this person with you know the fact that your relationship's on the line or you're unhappy with a situation and they actually put forward put their best foot forward or they put forth the work and actually try to change then i think that that can eliminate the fact that someone is a narcissist you know Mm so did that answer your question
0: yeah totally totally um But is is there any other terms that you want to share with us around this space? Because we've touched on manipulation, you know, which linked in people-pleasing, love bombing. We touched on gaslighting um, and that, that projecting. Like I did a lot of projecting when I was in my postnatal depression and it got to the point where, like, I, I really had to create that awareness to go, this isn't serving me or my husband and I was projecting a lot of stuff onto him and then go, you know, because he could never meet the standard that I set. Like I would, the bar would always keep rising, like, and he felt like crap. So um, it was interesting when I, so I started to bring it back and go, okay, well, if you're wanting him to do that, where are you not showing up? So then had to bring it back into myself. Mm and That's really challenging to do that kind of work. But as a benefit, our relationship is so much better because of it. And then on the other side, um, probably 18 months after, like I sort of cleaned up my life and cleaned up what was going on. I was saying to him, or oh, he was actually coming to me and saying, how do, how do I do this? Or how do I do that? And I was just like, how do you not know, like the answer to that question? Why is it that you don't know? That, and this is what's happening in my head. Why do you not know the answer to that question? And I'm like, oh, if I wasn't home, you wouldn't be asking me, you would just do it. But because I'm home, and because of what I had set up prior to this, and the, the issues that have come up, he's still healing. So I then had to go, well, what do you think? Like what do you, you know, you normally do this, so, you know, just come from a loving space and just ask him the questions and reflect them back to him to then grow his confidence so that literally he would just get things done and not have to worry about it. Because it was literally the smallest of things was how long should I leave the pasta on for Teddy when I'm cooking it for him? And I'm like, he does that every night. So why is this a question? But it's that whole role that then you get to become, so you might be the projector, but you get to come and help somebody heal on the other side. And I think that's a really beautiful circle for yourself.
1: Yeah, no, I love that a lot. And I appreciate you sharing that because I think that definitely goes into play with just how differently projections can look for sure. So. Yeah. And I think the last one that I think is important to recognize that I just thought of is the concept of, of devaluation. Like when a toxic person degrades their former ex or spouse or friend or coworker, but they treat you and they talk about you with the highest regard. Um, And this may not seem like it is an abusive tactic, but when someone is talking so poorly about a past person in their life, but you're you're nothing like them. this is a tactic that abusers use to control the way that you view them as a victim that oh well, this person they they're just you know poor and abused and and sad and have had really horrible sad relationships like and of course there's there is also like there's a fine line with all of these tactics, and I think that's something again to recognize is that the gut feeling is what to follow like. <laughs> Because, you know, I, I talk about my stories all the time with people and, and when I show up in relationships and I'm very forward about what I've experienced, but it's not to say like, oh, this is a horrible, terrible, awful, evil person. And, and I was, you know, poor me, I was abused. Like I've come to a place where I've healed from all of that now. And now this is just a, it's my story. It's, you know, it's a scar rather than it being this like open wound And so watching out and being careful that if you're approaching a new relationship with anybody to, to look and see how do they talk about former employees, you know, are, is this former employee like a really horrible person? Did they do their job really bad and you're just coming in to save the day and you do an amazing job? Well, that is automatically going to ignite those people pleasing tendencies to be like, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to keep that view of myself with them because I'm going to, first of all, like I don't want to, I don't want them to talk about me that way. But then I also, I want to prove to that person that I am different. Right. And this person's had it really hard. So I feel for them, I care for them. So I'm going to do my best. Right. And that can be the same with a relationship. Like, oh, my past ex was really crazy. So then we're going to do everything we can not to be crazy. And, and it's never going to be good enough. And that's, and that's something I think I want to just like shoot, throw out there really quick is that I had a, a coach at the very beginning that I worked with. And she told me, um, because I was like sitting there just saying, like, I just don't feel like I was ever good enough for him. Like if I was good enough, he wouldn't have done these things. If I was good enough, I wouldn't have gotten married to him. Or I, if I was good enough, he wouldn't have treated me this way. If I was good enough, I wouldn't be feeling this way right now. Right. Like, and that's very victimizing talk. And I realized that now, but something she said to me that kind of slapped me in the face and I needed it was that I wasn't good enough for him because what he needed was what I couldn't offer. I couldn't offer submissive behavior. I couldn't offer, you know, what he was asking of me and he, I, I couldn't be the wife that he needed and that's okay. Like I can take a look at that and be like, all right, I couldn't do that. Like, but I, I am enough for somebody else. I am enough for myself because my expectations of myself can be managed. Whereas his expectations of me could not have been, and I could not, there's no way that I would have been able to meet those expectations. And so, you know, for the person who's listening, who may be feeling like they're just never good enough for anybody or good enough in any relationship, take a look at the expectations that are being placed on you. And, and if you are actually capable of fulfilling those expectations, because At the end of the day, you don't deserve to be questioning who you are, questioning your reality, questioning if you're good enough, because it's just your innate humanness. Like you are always going to be good enough. You are worthy of everything good. You deserve everything and you don't need to sit there questioning day in and day out if you're a good person, good enough, or if you deserve to have good people in your life, because the truth is you do. Mm -hmm. Everybody is worthy of that. And you have permission to receive that.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that point, you know, that yes, we are all worthy, but the whole you never felt good enough because you were never going to be good enough. You could never meet those expectations. You could never, no matter, the bar just kept rising. So it didn't matter what was going on until the point that perhaps he had, you know, had full control or whatever that looked like for him. Um, But it was never going to happen. So it's then accepting that and going, oh, okay. So I, I I could never be good enough for him, but I can be for myself and I can be for somebody else and I can be that be good enough for myself right now I don't need somebody else validating that as well
1: yeah and I believe too you know sometimes I, I will say like we don't always have the opportunity to just up and quit our job before dealing with someone who's toxic um, and I think I haven't used that word a lot just because I think it's an overused word and it's a lot like narcissism that we claim everybody is toxic but it is important to recognize that you, You will, and you are valid if you feel that someone is toxic in your life, but you don't necessarily need to just up and leave and quit your job or up and get a divorce or up and quit your relationship or, you know, lose a friendship or a parent or a sibling because they may be quote unquote toxic. But I think it is something to recognize and say that you can still approach these relationships and still take care of yourself and still love yourself, that you can have boundaries like that is boundaries. I really had a hard time understanding boundaries until after my relationship ended because someone explained it to me that when you get that feeling of like, you know, like when someone says something and you're like, ah, I don't know how I feel about that. Or when someone does something and you're kind of like, Ooh, like, I don't know if there's a word to explain that, but for me, it's a feeling of like, Oh, I did not like the way that they said that, or the way that they did that. You can then recognize that's a boundary that was crossed over. And so if you're at work and someone, you know, your boss is giving you way too many things to do and you're like, "Ugh, I don't, I, I don't have the capacity to do that. You can have the boundary to say, all right, this is an important task. And this is also an important task that you've been given to, that you've given to me, which one is the higher priority so that I can make sure to get it done. Like that's a simple, beautiful way to approach boundaries in the workplace when it comes to a relationship. Okay. I feel that there are a lot of things that you're requiring of me. Which ones would you like me to work on? Because I'm not capable of working on all of these. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a matter of finding where the boundaries are being crossed over and where you're feeling that tension and realizing how can you approach your relationships from this point on, but you can still show up in these relationships because that's the beauty of understanding if you're with a narcissist or with someone who's just maybe a little bit unhealthy, or if you yourself are working on being healthier is just to recognize that dealing with people in general, you're going to have to have boundaries and they are absolutely necessary. And it, and I think boundaries get a really bad rap, but honestly, they are so necessary because We don't need, again, it goes back to, I think what I was saying in the beginning that we live in this society where it's so easy to just devalue ourselves Mm -hmm. and to just do everything and anything that people want us to do. And then we show up in life with so much resentment and anger and depression and anxiety. And I'm an advocate for stopping that and for stopping the cycle of that. And for you just to be able to take care of yourself because you You ultimately deserve it and you can, and it's going to take time and it's going to require you to, you know, to, to, if you need to get the help to find the professional, that's going to work best with you. And to realize that at the end of the day, like life was not, we're not here on earth, if you will, to just suffer. Like I'm a very firm believer in that, that we are here to live the best lives that we possibly can. And to be of service to other people and to just make the biggest impact that we possibly can. And sometimes it's hard to make that impact when we are hurting so much and we're just being servants that are, I don't know, like whipping boys, <laughs> like I like just, yeah. we don't need to do that. And we, we almost sometimes bring that on ourselves out of fear of the response and the reactions that other people will give. And so boundaries aren't easy, but they are necessary.
0: And the boundaries are actually already in our life. It's whether or not we choose to, not I'm going to say enforce, it's probably not enforce, but just put them in place around what we will and won't accept. Like we already have a friendship group perhaps with people that we love, but if somebody came into that friendship group and was doing things that didn't sit well with you, you're going to put a boundary on that person. So it's already there. You just need to choose whether or not you actually create more of them or be more specific in how you um Just say tell people, like, hang on a minute, you can't speak like that, or hang on a minute, I don't like it when this happens. So it's it's not about being confronting or aggressive with anybody. It's just saying, this is what I struggle with. And often you can put a boundary in place and say, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. So if you drive really fast, I'm not going to get in the car with you. I'll drive my own car. And it's not reflective of them. It's just the choice that you're making and just saying, okay, this is where I'm going to go and move yep. forward. Yeah. Something else you just quickly, before we wrap up, because <laughs> we're running over time, which is beautiful, um, something else you touched on was around that idea that if somebody is saying something to you, so say you have a boss who's telling you about other staff members and they're going, they don't do their work very well, they're not um, they're not productive, blah, 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 and they, they're really, you know, talking this person down, Often, and in 99.9% of the cases I have seen, if they're doing that to another person, they're also doing that to you. And they're doing it with that, potentially that other person. So you can't control that. All you can control is your response to those things. And not engaging in those conversations is a really important thing to do. It also happens in friendship groups. If you were talking about somebody else, um, say say I had a conversation. I'm talking about someone else. Well, there's a chance that I'm also talking about you in the same sort of light. Um, so that really comes back to your authenticity, authenticity, and who you want to be as a person. So if you can see it in others, how can you tidy that up in yourself? It's just a really um, simple thing. Can be challenging, but it's it's a mind shift that we have to make.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think that's absolutely beautiful to think about. It, I think it just all boils down to trust. Like. Mm. And I think for me, like, I know that like, I, I'm not going to sit there and profess that I'm perfect by any means. And I look back on my life and there have been times where I was that person of, of talking negatively about one person and then, you know, pretending that that conversation ever happened. And it makes me sad looking back on that time, but realizing that I'm, I, it is not negotiable at this point on for me to not be true to myself. I am true to myself 100%. And if that means losing certain relationships, then that means losing certain relationships. And if that means quitting a job or moving or, I mean, whatever the case may be for everybody's situation. But I know for me, I am not going to compromise who I am anymore. And I am not going to be inauthentic. And it's not negotiable at this point. And showing up in my life, that I think that is ultimately like the brand behind it's me, Aubrey. I mean, that's what I that's who I am. I'm me, I'm Aubrey, and I'm not gonna, I am not going to question who I am anymore because I spent years of my life questioning who I was and showing up in spaces that other people wanted me to. And it was so devaluing, it was so discouraging. And that is ultimately like my, my mission is to help other people to step into that authentic power. And to recognize that they don't need to settle anymore for anything and that it's not negotiable for them to be somebody that they don't feel comfortable being, that they get to be themselves unapologetically. And and I just think that's, I mean, that's, that's my passion right there is to just make sure that like, you know, if that is something that somebody chooses to do, to recognize that you don't need to be a participant in that, you just need to be a participant in being your true self. Mm-hmm. So
0: before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: No, I feel like I've said so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's been It's awesome. just the fastest hour.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been awesome. And we had a conversation obviously last week just in preparation for this, and that was like, I need to record this because we could, you know, <laughs> we could keep going for hours on all this sort of stuff. So my next question for you is what's one thing that you do for self-love?
1: Lately, I've been taking a lot of time to just listen to what my body needs, like first thing in the morning. So that's been in the form of Epsom salt baths lately, which has been really nice. And um, sometimes it's just a quick meditation, right? But I think listening to my body and really tuning into what it is that my body needs, that's been my ultimate act of self love without contingencies I guess like I'm not showing up in my morning routine because I have a bullet point list of things to do but intuitively approaching and just listening to what my body or my my mind and soul or spirit need in that moment so beautiful
0: I think we can all do more of that can't we (laughs) something that we need to start practicing and and just be more in tune with ourselves and then move from that space makes a big difference. Beautiful. So what's one way that myself and the listeners can serve you? If there was something out of this podcast that you'd like us to take away and implement, what would that be?
1: To be unapologetically you, I think is the one thing that, you know, if we can all show up as the people that we are meant to be and and to be honourable and true to ourselves. I think that's the greatest service that we can do for, one well, ourselves but collectively as a world as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Where can everybody find you on, you know, social media, your website, all the things? Tell us.
1: Yeah. So my social media is at it's me, Aubrey, with two underscores at the end. And my website is launching. I'm so excited. I've been working on this website for months and it's finally launching on March 1st. So I think by the time that this podcast airs, my website will be already launched. And um, over there, that is where you can find a lot of resources. And I've got quite a few like projects in the pipeline. So if you feel called, you know, to learn more from me or anything like that, my website and my social media are going to be constantly updated. So that is, that's where you can find me. At. Awesome.
0: And will that be called itsmeaubrey.com?
1: Oh, yes. I actually literally just, I'm, I'm like, I don't think I said the name of it Yeah, It's, it's meaubrey.com.
0: I love that. I love that you got that name.
1: It's awesome. Well, thank you. I decided to embrace it. Yeah,
0: totally. Totally. you got to be able to make decisions and move forward. Otherwise, we get stuck in the circle, don't we? Yeah.
1: messy action all day that's my motto lately
0: (laughs) I love it that's awesome I might have to write that on a post-it (laughs) note
1: well thank you so
0: much for this conversation Aubrey it's been an honor to spend this time again with you and thank you for doing all the work that you're doing in the world and bringing awareness out there around all of this you know, all of this big bucket of, of stuff that we've got going on out in the world and that people, there are, you know, mean people out there. Sure, there's equally more good people, but we need to be aware of what's going on but, and turning up for ourselves at the same time.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having this platform. I love it. I'm so grateful that I've been able to meet you, that we have as good of conversations as we do. So, <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me today, and I have a couple of small favours to ask. If you love this episode, please share it with someone you love and you know the episode will resonate with. Also, to help spread the word about my podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. I love hearing your thoughts about my podcast and what's resonating with you. Plus, it helps us share my podcast with the rest of the world, which is amazing. Finally, thank you so much for being here. I'm super grateful for you and I'm truly honoured you've spent your time with me. Let's keep rising, let's keep growing because it's totally possible to live a life you love every day right where you are. See you in the next episode.